my beautiful ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism, a podcast about scandals, conspiracies, and convictions. Cue intro music. Thank you all for tuning in to the second episode of Professional Skepticism. Today's topic is super interesting to me, and I also have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Amanda Rose McArdle. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, and thanks for sitting with me for literally hours while I try to figure out how to make this microphone sound good. I appreciate it. There's nothing else I'd rather do on my Saturday (laughs) evening. Tell the people what they want to know, Mandy. Tell them all about you. Um, I'm a Sagittarius. My pronouns are she, her. Um, yeah, that's about all there is to me. <laughs> <laughs> Only the important stuff. Yeah. I'm your best friend. And you're my best friend. We have matching tattoos, so you'll probably be back on the show again sometime soon. My I biggest so. supporter. <laughs> I can't believe you're here. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, like I said, today's topic is super interesting. Um, I don't really know what I would categorize this topic as. Like, we talk about scandals, conspiracies, and convictions, and I think it's a little bit of a combination between all of them. Um, it's kind of cultish, conspiratorial, there's definitely some crime maybe potentially involved. Um, the first time that I ever heard about today's topic was in my honors business law class that I took in undergrad. Um, I had a really cool professor. Her name was Professor Best, I think, which is kind of badass, and I love that. Um, I remember when she came into class to tell us about this, and she was, like, all smug and, like, excited to talk about this, and she made us argue whether or not what these people were doing was legal and ethical and, like, if there should be laws in place to prevent this kind of stuff or if it's okay for people to do this. Um, but I just remember being so obsessed with this, like my whole class was all debating about whether it was right and whether it was wrong. And I like literally could not stop thinking about it. And I went straight back to my dorm and just binge watched all of the YouTube videos that I could find about it and read all these articles. Um, and I honestly probably still think about it like way more often than I should. It's super interesting to me. Um, Mandy, how did you hear about today's topic? Well, definitely from you recently, it like jogged my memory about this topic and then, but I heard about it a long time ago from one of my sister's friends. They were like talking about wanting to do it and I thought they were crazy. So I looked into it and yeah, it's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, with that, I guess we can go ahead and get started. Um, Our topic for today's episode is the undeniably interesting terrifyingly real and ethically questionable McKamey Manor. Ew. (laughs) The one and only original, quote, extreme haunted attraction and, quote, survival horror challenge. So first, I want to start off this episode by letting you all know that there's literally a change.org petition arguing that McKamey Manor should be shut down 
because it is, and I quote, advertised as an extreme haunt when in fact it is not a haunted house. It's a torture chamber under disguise, end quote. As of December 1st, 2021, there were 178,618 signatures out of its 200,000 signature goal. So it's safe to say that people are pretty upset about its existence, but maybe after this episode, you'll be one of those additional signatures that pushes this petition towards its goal. But I don't know if I will be, though. And with that, let's dive into some of the history behind this attraction, shall we? Actually, Mandy, would you would you sign this petition? I don't know all there is to need to all there is to need to know about it. Maybe after listening to your facts, I would. As of right now, I wouldn't. But okay, yeah. yeah. So when I first was writing out these notes, and I was like, you know, writing the hook, line, and sinker, <laughs> I I had said that I would I would not like I was like I absolutely would not sign this petition and. I'll get into, like, the reasons why I feel that way, but then learning more about the specific people who run McKamey Manor and, like, the drama that's happened there, I was like, well, maybe I would just in that instance. Like, I think people should be able to have these kinds of experiences, but, like, I don't know if the people doing it are the ones that should be doing it. Like, I don't yeah, know if it's sure. the safest, you know. Um, okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you at the end, and then we'll see where we stand. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so what exactly is McKamey Manor? Well, McKamey Manor is an extreme haunted house experience described by Russ McKamey himself as a survival horror boot camp. Uh, the manor only operates on weekends, and only a handful of visitors or, quote, victims, depending on who you ask, are allowed to attend the haunt at any given time. Um, this is apparently because McKamey tailors the haunt experience to the fears of each person or group who attends the attraction. So if attendees watch this U- the YouTube videos, uh, they can get an idea of what to expect when they go to the haunt. But during the interview and screening process, McKamey actually probes the attendees for what really freaks them out so that he can ensure that their experience is unique, worth their while, and something that will actually terrify them and push their boundaries. So... The original McKamey Manor experience is called Desolation, and it's intended to last 10 hours maximum, but no one has actually made it through the entire event due to its intensity. Um, McKamey used to offer $20,000 to anyone who could actually last the entire 10 hours of the experience, but no one's ever succeeded. And I think we'll get into it in a little bit, but a lot of people say that, like, he doesn't let people get to the end of the attraction as a way to not have to pay the $20,000. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So McKamey claims the reason that he stopped offering the prize money was because he was attracting what he called, quote, crazies, who are people who would literally just do anything to get the money. But, like, back to what I'm saying, even though he would attract these crazies, they still couldn't make it through the attraction. And I feel like Everyone knows, like, one person who's just, like, crazy desperate and would do anything for that $20,000. I mean, that's me. I would do that for $20,000. Exactly. Like, you would go through the 10 hours, but, like, he's not letting people get through. So if they're really that crazy, like, there's tons of people who would... I'm just like, aren't these people, like, if they're crazy, you're advertising that, like... Why call them crazy? Yeah, yeah. We'll get... Yeah, for (laughs) sure. We'll get into some of that. But, like, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would be able to push through their, like physical and mental barriers to do the 10 hours and i think that it's true that he probably is just like yeah i mean it's definitely not worth twenty thousand dollars no he does but no no i agree 
Yeah. In recent years, McKamey has created shorter experiences that is six hours long um, with the attention, intention of giving visitors the opportunity to actually start and finish the experience, though people are still allowed to tap out if necessary, um, which is another thing that we'll get into. So McKamey says that the average time spent at the Summertown McKamey Manor location is just eight minutes according to the Nashville scene. So the Summertown location is um, the most recent location of where you can find the McKamey Manor. And then a YouTube video posted by The Guardian in 2015 shows that, uh, or McKamey is in the video, and he's stating that there's a wait list of over 27,000 people to attend the haunt from all over the world. So that's crazy. I don't know how you keep up with that. Let's get into some background information about the manor. I still feel like my listeners are probably like, okay, what the fuck, though? Like, what is it? Like, give us more details. We're just talking about it right now. We're hyping it up. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Sadistic. (laughs) McKamey Manor is the brainchild of the infamous Russ McKamey. Um, It's actually, like, super difficult to find personal information about Russ online, probably due to the fact that a lot of people are upset with what he's doing, Um, so it's probably for his best interest that you can't really find a ton about him. Um, For someone who should probably keep a low profile, and does to some extent, though, he sure does love the limelight. So, according to a Washington Post article, McKamey served in the Navy for 23 years and performs as a wedding singer when he has the time. Um, and a Fast Company article states that Russ later worked as a veteran's advocate before losing that job due to downsizing. And in an interview published on Al.com, that's short for Alabama, if you were wondering, uh, McKamey told the interviewer that when asked about his personal life, that he's never been drunk, he's never smoked a cigarette, and he's such a square and conservative guy. And that's a quote. He said that about himself. Did he really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, he also doesn't drink coffee, which is alarming because he seems wired all the fucking time. Yeah. Like, if you see his YouTube videos, like, like his, his intros and outros, like, not even the actual footage of what he does to these people, like, he's, like, on crack, like, it seems like. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hey guys, like. Yeah, he's definitely (laughs) on one, like, I'll have what he's having. (laughs) Um. According to The Guardian, he also majored in theater studies before joining the Navy. So that could explain his, like, chaotic, theatrical behavior. Um, I have my own thoughts about Russ, but there's just something that's, like, so hilarious about someone claiming what a straight-edged, buttoned-up person they are. Like, why do you feel the need to say that? Even if he really is, like, so conservative, I don't think that your average conservative man is orchestrating elaborate torture experiences that people, like, travel the world to attend. Um, And that's totally fine that he does that. It's just funny to try and argue that, like, you're normal when, like, obviously that's not normal. You know. Absolutely not. <laughs> like that's just just say it. Like, like he's it's moved not normal. locations just to keep what he's doing open. Like that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> so conservative, Russ. Like, didn't he move from like L.A. all the way over to uh San Francisco? I believe. Yeah, San Diego. I knew it was one of those. Yeah, California all the way to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. I think we're about to actually get into that. I think that's the next in my notes. So, um, like I said, it's hard to find like solid information about the manor. Like, everybody has their own things they want to say about it. I think it started without the intention of getting to the level that it's at now, and so I don't think that there was a lot of, like, documented timelines of how everything went into play. So what I've got is from a lot of different sources, like Mod Podge, if I even said that right, together. Um, 
but I've got all my sources. I'll post them in the show notes and I'll reference them as we go. But some of this stuff, um, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> so let's go. Um, Russ established McKamey Manor around the year 2000 in San Diego. See, around the year. Like, I couldn't find, like, a specific. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, around 2000. <laughs> like, this seems like the perfect Y2K celebration. Um, yeah. 2000, San Diego, California, on his own property. So since its inception, Russ has had to move the manor more times than he would have liked for reasons varying from cost-cutting measures to dangerously furious neighbors to potential run-ins with the law. So today it sits on two acres in residential Summertown, Tennessee, which has a population of less than 1,000 residents, and Huntsville, Alabama. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine being somewhere with less than a thousand residents? Well, it's the perfect place to do the things that he does. Yeah. I was reading about this town and apparently there, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe I have it in here somewhere, but there was like some random stuff. Like people were saying it was a good town for him to go to because they are already like doing weird stuff there. But like the neighbors were still not thrilled with him coming is what it seems like. This is where it gets a little weird to me. There's, so it's the Summertown, Tennessee location, but there's also a part of their location in Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm not sure, like, what the distance is between those two. I guess I could have looked it up. Someone will probably tell me, my devoted fans. <laughs> um, so, okay, apparently the haunt is meant to start at the Tennessee location, and then if you make it long enough through the haunt, they'll move you to the Alabama site to continue. So I guess that's, like, a part of the scariness, is that you're being, like, transported mm-hmm. around. I don't know. The Tennessee address is 12 Stevenson Road, Summertown, Tennessee, 38483, in case you want to show up there, which I don't recommend. Send Russ a letter. (laughs) Yeah, write Russ a letter. Actually, I don't want to get sued. I did not tell you to do that. (laughs) Do whatever you want. The McKamey Manor official website actually claims that the manor is located in Nashville, Tennessee, which I just think is funny for some reason. Like, I think I looked it up and they're like, not like close enough. It didn't seem, at least to me, it didn't make sense for him to try and be like, oh, we're in Nashville, when, like, they're not actually in Nashville. Yeah, how, in- how far away is Nashville? I, I'm not you don't sure. know. <laughs> I, I could probably look it up. Uh, let's look it up. Nashville to Summertown. Yeah, it's like an hour outside of Nashville. That's a stretch to yeah. say that you're near now. I mean, I mean, that's like when, like, you, when I moved out to where I am now, I don't want to triangulate myself. It was like, you're only 20 minutes from the city. And it's like, no, the fuck I'm not. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty far from the city. <laughs> but thanks for that. Okay. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. I think a lot of this shit is funny. So um, if you look up the address and the property records, which I did because I'm crazy, it's technically in Summertown. So According to the San Diego Union Tribune, a previous attempt to move to Illinois in 2015 failed when nearby residents got wind of the proposed move and rose up against it. An attempt to move to Arizona was also shut down after the city commissioner and some townspeople went through a practice tour. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! They just really don't want this man living. No, they really don't. Um... Shortly after the manor moved to Tennessee, a Facebook post was made by the Lawrence County Commissioner, Scott Franks, denouncing the manor. According to the Nashville scene, the post was shared more than 200 times and received more than 500 comments before being pulled by Facebook, reportedly due to threats of violence being made by commenters. So, like, he, he people are, like, literally getting so upset that they're, like, threatening violence. It sounds very familiar to yes. today's day and age, but... Yeah, 
So it's, I just thought it was funny that they're like reprimanding him and then they're getting so upset and like, they're like, you're wrong. We're right. But like in doing so, they were escalating to the point of violence and like talking shit on Facebook and got like removed, you know? Yeah. And I just think, why doesn't Russ move to somewhere maybe a little less conservative? Yeah, I agree. But I think he like wants the privacy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I guess just like. I feel like all the states he's, like, stayed in are so Southern and conservative, just like he claims to be, but it's, like, what he does isn't very conservative at all. We discussed one of these moves in my business law class, so if I remember correctly, a part of what influenced the initial move was that California law does not allow people to sign contracts that essentially sign away their own protection. So even if the person willingly and enthusiastically agrees to everything in McCamey Manor's waiver about being beaten, tortured, abused, and potentially put at risk of dying, the contract is not legally binding because California, amongst other states, simply won't allow its citizens to enter agreements that put themselves at risk of being seriously harmed or killed. Very California. There are a lot of things that, you know, we side waivers for and assume responsibility for because we're inherently putting ourselves at risk when we do them. So I'm going to play like devil's advocate. We do this when purchasing tickets to attend amusement parks, to ride roller roller coasters, or when we side waivers prior to a risky surgical procedure, or even when we get body modifications like tattoos and piercings. Technically, when we pay for body mods, we pay for someone to inflict pain on us, but it's okay because afterwards we look super duper cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the main difference here, though, is that the laws will simply not allow this if the only thing you get out of it is pure adrenaline rushes and pain. Um, We cannot consent to physical assault. You could definitely argue that there are other things that you could get out of someone hurting you. Emotional release and (laughs) sexual gratification are just some that come to mind. Yeah, you know. But then we venture into the realm of sex work, and then we know how the law and society feels about sex work. And if you're wondering where I stand on that matter, I say legalize it. But when I sit down and put on my professional skeptic lenses, my mind goes immediately to people who want to complete suicide, but cannot bring themselves to actually do it. So if laws like this weren't in place, people could simply hire people to kill them via contract, like mail-order suicide. Which leads us to another hot topic, the ethicality of assisted suicide or even just suicide in general, and if the law should be able to determine whether people can or cannot complete suicide. So I honestly have no idea where I stand on that one, and that's just one of the more tame possibilities. (laughs) So I'm going to take a stretch here. But like when I think about these kinds of laws and like whether or not we should be able to decide if we're have pain inflicted upon us and stuff, my mind wanders. And it reminds me of that true crime case where these two men met on a website that was essentially a chat room for people who were interested in cannibalism. And one of the men really wanted to know what it would be like to eat another human, and the other man had a fantasy of being eaten alive in a way that would ultimately end his life. And I might cover that one now that I'm thinking of it, because beyond just like the initial shock value of what happened, there were so many controversial conversations to be had when you look closely at the psychological states of these men and the people in this chat room just in general. This episode is like opening a can of worms. So I sit somewhere in the gray area of whether I agree or disagree with these laws. I don't, I'm not saying that I support <laughs> cannibalism. That's not what I'm saying. But I thought that was interesting, like, two consenting parties, but, like, technically, you know, just committing a crime. Like, it can go from something very minimal to something very, obviously, extreme. It's a very, uh, fine line you're walking. Yeah, because you just get into the argument of, like, well, it's, like, people should be able to do what they want to do, but also, like, when we 
made laws and like decided to have a government and like work as a a union or like a country and come together for like one main goal. The the idea is to prevent people from hurting themselves or like putting themselves in situations where they can get hurt for like the greater good. But I mean, the government's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, who knows? Like, I don't know. I think that everyone's entitled to their own perspectives, and if the involved parties are mature, informed adults that are of sound mind and body, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to come to some sort of agreement that satisfies both sadists and masochists. I digress, and I will probably do it again, because today's discussion um, really gets my gears going. <laughs> so you may be wondering... How does one go about visiting McKamey Manor? And you may also be wondering, how can I stay as far as fucking away from McKamey Manor as I possibly can? But we're going to answer the first question. Don't move to Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah, don't go to Tennessee. (laughs) Okay, so there are quite a few requirements that must be satisfied before you can attend the manor. And here's a list of the basic requirements from their website. Number one, you must be 21 years old or 18 to 20 with parents' approval. Can you imagine asking your parents to sign a paper allowing you to do something like this? And why do I feel like my dad would say yes? (laughs) Shout out to Trap Dad. Um, He would, though. I feel like he wouldn't understand the severity of it until after the fact and be like, what the fuck, Zoe? Yeah, no, he would be like, well, like, I just wanted you to, like, try something new and have a cool experience. <laughs> and then, like, after I'd come out with, like, no teeth and, like, shaved head, he'd be like, oh my god! <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> Literally the whole way he raised me. <laughs> Love you, Dad. Um, number two. You must have a completed sports physical and doctor's letter stating that you are physically and mentally cleared. So picture yourself going to the doctor and being like, hey, I'm going to go willingly be tortured for 10 hours and I need a doctor's note saying that I'm mentally stable enough to make that decision and then endure the consequences of said decision. Um, I'm pretty sure that my doctor would send me home with like an informational packet about (laughs) self-harm and a referral to a new office if I asked her to clear me for that. And my therapist would just drop me. But like... Seriously, it literally every... So? Oh my god, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> mine, I feel like mine would sign the waiver. She'd be like, as long as it's contributing to your growth and your mental health, then I'm here for you. No, my therapist, she'll let me go on and on, like, just talking a fool, and then she'll be like, mm-mm, girl, like, just reel it back in. So I think if I, like, and I've had conversations with her where she's literally like, you're, you're concerning me, like... I mean, I'm doing good now, but I've had conversations where she was like, girl, like, you're a little bit, like, much. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she would like that. I think she would be very concerned. Um, And my regular doctor, like, literally every time I go to see her, she sends me home with, like, a 40-page packet. Them packets. Yeah. And it's always like, how to not get acne. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Mine is always, like, severe obesity. How to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) They're coming for us. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Number three. You have to pass a background check provided by McKamey Manor. So this one's interesting because I've seen several sources mention that the employees that Russ hires to work in the manor have not undergone background checks, or if they have, that they shouldn't have been hired on due to their backgrounds. So I wonder if this has anything to do with, like, their manly and intimidating appearances. According to The Guardian, the employees are actually volunteers, and they originally began their experience with McKamey Manor as guests who went through the haunt. And because of this, and due to a lacquer, lacquer, 
uh, due to a lack of, quote, proper training. Many people are concerned for the safety of their guests. The actors claim that they do this work as a de-stressor and that they don't hold back when in the manner, though they still claim it's all a show. So I was looking at, like, videos and articles of them, and they're all kind of cute. Like, they're kind of our type. Like, <laughs> <The actors>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're, like, our type. They're, like... Well, like, only... I think the videos I've ever seen, they usually are, like, wearing masks, or mm-hmm. it's, like, it's filmed in their point of view. Yeah, there's one video. I think it's the Guardian um, YouTube video where they're, like, in Russ's house, and, like, these guys, they're just normal guys, and they have, like, families, and so, like, they'll bring their kids, and their kids just hang out in Russ's living room and, like, watch cartoons, and they're just in the back, like, torturing people, and they're, like, dilfs. Like, uh- they're, like... <laughs> Tall, dark hair, tatted, Not like bearded. Not convincing me to sign the waiver here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're all like, we don't hold back. This is how I let out my anger. They're like, it's just a show, but like, I just really get into it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I think, um, I don't know, maybe they aren't undergoing background checks. Just be, I don't know. I, I don't know. But it, it's definitely interesting the way people feel about them. I just think that they just look intimidating. Okay. Number four, you have to be screened via Facebook video chat or phone. Russ loves Facebook. We'll hear all about that. Um, Russ also meets with the visitors a couple of times prior to them actually beginning the experience. Number five, you must have proof of medical insurance. And if you watch their YouTube videos, you'll understand why. (laughs) Uh, Six, you must sign a detailed 40-page waiver. We'll also take a deeper look into the waiver. I picked out some of my most the ones that piqued my interest the most, and we'll talk about them. And then number seven, you must pass a portable drug test on the day of the show. Knowing them, I just, like, I imagine, like, being in, like, a moving van, and they're, like, just beating the shit out of you, and they're, like, pee in this cup, pee in this cup. (laughs) (laughs) And you're, like, peeing everywhere. Oh, my God, and then they throw it back on you. Ew. They're, like, you passed. Also, everyone who's chosen to go through the haunt has to wear a onesie. Really? Yeah. I'm assuming this is just to add, like, some sort of form of humiliation, but, like, that's... So we'll talk about it, I think, a little bit later, but Russ gives them, like, homework assignments before actually, like, getting to them and, like, signing the waiver and doing the haunt because he wants to see if they're, like, committed to the cause. And so, like, one of the assignments is, like, you have to go out and purchase a onesie and, like, send him a picture in it. Why is he a daddy dog? (laughs) Don't start. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's talk about things that have happened to people in the manor. I thought this was funny. So, McKamey himself said that he would never actually do something like his own haunt because he has his own fears, whatever that means. Which is, like, so crazy because I feel like to be willing to do this to other people, you should be willing to do it to yourself. I I agree. Yeah, I agree. We all have our own fears, honey. Get in line. He also said that he's always thinking of the cinematic experience and getting the best shot for his movies, so... I feel like he records, records on, like, a fucking potato, and it's, like, <laughs> shaking half the time, and, like, oh it's, like, God. all up in their face. I think that's, like, a part of it, though. It's kind of like the Blair Witch Project, where, like, it's not actually scary, it's just, like, they're shaking, and you're like, oh, I feel the anxious energy. Yeah, but, like, sometimes I'm just like, alright, like, get a tripod. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree. I just thought it was weird that, like... And if you watch the videos and stuff, you can pick up on it. Like, he really just cares about, like, the recording aspect of it and, like, having it to watch, and it's just... It's a little weird. It's, like, he takes it a bit far. Like, I understand wanting to showcase it, but, like, that's... I think, from my perspective, after all the research I've done, it seems like he just does all of this in order to have this footage that he, like, edits and rewatches and puts out there and gets likes and comments and... Yeah, it's people like, get worked up. 
in the YouTube video posted by The Guardian, McKamey was editing one of his haunt tours, and it shows a clip of them shaving off someone's eyebrows, and then it flashes in word art on his computer screen, yes, you may loose your eyebrows. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking love this typo. You may loose your eyebrows. <laughs> it's like, um, let me slip into something a little more comfortable and, like, loose your eyebrows. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Okay. Anyways. McKamey claims that the terrifying things people endure at the manor are actually of their own accord. Um, They know what the manor is about, and if a person is willing to take all the steps to actually get to the manor, which takes quite a bit of time to be on the wait list, to go through the screening process, to use their own personal resources to get to the manor, then if they're going to do all of that, they obviously are there for the horror aspect of it all. Like, it's not like you just... You don't just trip and fall and wind up at McCamey Manor. Yeah, you it don't, takes a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, maybe you know a guy who knows a guy who knows Russ or something, but, like, that's not... It's, like, you have to go out of your way to go to the manor, so you kind of are, like, seeking out this kind of experience. Some videos show people, like, in during the haunts, they're, like, flip-flopping back and forth between begging Russ to stop and then, like, begging him to keep going. Um, which I just thought was really interesting psychologically. People who attend the manor are, like, already interested in pain and the macabre, and you don't just go to McKamey Manor and, like, not expect to experience some sort of physical and psychological torture. Though Russ probably wouldn't like that I used the word torture. Maybe torture simulation is the better way to put it, like, in his perspective, because that's what he just says all the time. He's like, it's all a show, it's just a show. Here's a non-exhaustive list of things that have happened to people at the manor, apparently. Someone had a heart attack. People have had their heads shaved. Um, based on their YouTube videos, I've noticed that they often do this to women, probably because women are, like, more emotionally attached to their hair. But, like, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more humiliating when you have long hair that you take care of and someone shaves it all off. Oh, my God. I'd be so sad. Literally, my head is so bumpy. Like, <laughs> I swear, like, someone, like, kicked the shit out of my head or, like, dropped me. Like, I don't know. But my head is bumpy as fuck. Like, when everyone shaved their heads, like, when that was, like, a thing... I was like, maybe I should jump on the bandwagon. I touched my head. I was like, hell no. And I got a big old mole. That would be <laughs> that would be embarrassing for me. <laughs> Obviously, people have received bruises, cuts, swelling, etc. People throw up a lot. Um, it's really gross. People have been whipped, tased, ooh, covered in <laughs> bugs, forced to eat bugs. Oh. And some sources say that people have been forced to take mind-altering drugs. So... Given the amount of publicity the manor has, I'm assuming that these mind-altering drugs are of the legal variety. However, the legality of the manor is highly questionable at best, so, like, who knows at this point. Um, I really don't know what that could mean. I mean, maybe it's, like, something legal or, like... Like, what, like, salvia? Like I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was thinking more like a Delta-8 gummy. <laughs> that would have me rocked. <laughs> like, like, I'm just thinking of, like, when people, like, go to, like, Myrtle Beach and they get yeah, salvia. Yeah. That shit's wild. <laughs> um, so there are also rumors of people being waterboarded or being held under equally terrifying water-related conditions, which I, I, I hate water. Like, my worst fear is drowning and, like, being stranded at sea. I think mine is being stabbed, so water doesn't bother me. I mean, yeah, that would suck, being stabbed. <laughs> but, like, the water, it's so immense and, like, literally you, like, crush your lungs and, like, there's, like, shit in the water. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Russ loves hypnotism. 
McCamey claims that people have willingly removed their own teeth and nails while under mild forms of hypnotism, but were, like, totally aware of their actions at the time. So I don't know what that means. Like, how- <laughs> like mild hypnotism, but also pulling out their own teeth. Like, but, like, totally sentence. aware. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is the truth? I was not totally aware, pull my own teeth out. Like, that's... I'm good. I don't know. I feel like this man's, like, a walking oxymoron. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, there's also rumors of sexual assault floating around, and, like, I, these are all allegations, this is nothing that is affiliated to me or my personal beliefs. Um, it's difficult to find verified reports or information on sexual assaults occurring at the manor, though there are statements on the change.org petitions and Facebook pages of people saying that there have been, but it's mainly people saying things like, they have sexually assaulted people at the manor, instead of people saying, I was sexually assaulted at the manor. It's like... Just kind of, I think people throw that out there. They're like, well, they're doing all this crazy shit, so they're probably, like, sexually assaulting people, too. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that there is or isn't. I don't know. But that's just something worth considering. I've also, when trying to find more information on that, I found a lot of allegations of other haunts. Um, obviously not of this, like, stature as McKinney Manor, but, like, more intense haunts that happen, like, in little local places around Halloween and stuff where there have been, like, actual sexual assault issues. So it, you know, it's just something to consider when you have this kind of environment, I guess. But, I mean, that's something to consider in any environment, to be honest. Yeah. Um, people have also reported to the police that they were assaulted with a deadly weapon, but in most cases, they were dropped after, um, the most cases were dropped after investigation due to the 40-page waiver. Like, I literally saw an article where a police officer was like, yeah, we can't do anything because of that waiver. Um. Because I think it literally says in the waiver, you may be assaulted with a deadly weapon. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Like, if you've seen any of their videos, like, what like what do you expect? Right. So, people have been rumored to be tied up and force-fed, dunked into tanks with eels while wearing a stray jacket. Like, are you Houdini? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and even forced to swim through a 200-yard muddy trench that may or may not be filled with caimans. And if you're like me, and you don't know what a caiman is, which I don't even know if I'm saying it right... Um, I looked it up, and apparently they're, like, alligatorids belonging to the alligator <laughs> subfamily. What? So, like, I'm sure... I'm, I'm just thinking of, like, miniature alligators. Like a lizard almost. Like, not... No, I'm thinking bigger than that. I'm thinking probably, like... Like those like things a that are in, two. um, holes that they find when they dig up the yeah, holes. Yeah, but, like, bigger. <laughs> I don't know. I actually don't know how big they are. That's just, in my mind, when I think of alligatorid. I think of <laughs> smaller, like just half the size of an alligator. I don't know why. According to Russ, you probably won't see any of the survivors discussing in detail what all goes on inside the manor, aside from what's shown on the manor's YouTube page out of respect for the manor and to preserve the experience and integrity of the haunt. So if we all knew every exact detail of what went down at the manor, it would take away some of the excitement and the mystery for those of us who are actually interested in what goes on there. Megan Sealing for the Nashville scene wrote that some say when they lived through what they lived through was downright torture, a nightmare that included waterboarding, severe beatings, broken bones, and being held captive long after they'd called out the agreed upon safe phrase. And with that, let's venture on to our next topic, the waiver. I was able to find a leaked version of the waiver from 2017 that was roughly 23 pages long in a 2019 article titled for lawyers, McKinney Manor's <laughs> waiver is even more frightening than the extreme haunted house. This is legally questionable at best by Stacy Zaretsky on AboveTheLaw.com. 
So I don't, it didn't say where the, like, waiver came from, who leaked it or what. So it's, like, also possible that someone just fucking wrote this up based on what they'd heard and whatever. But I don't know. It seems like a lot. But people get really upset about this kind of stuff, so maybe. But I just thought it was interesting, so we'll talk about it. This particular waiver that I found refers to California law, so I'm assuming that it's the waiver that they used when they were located in San Diego. Some sources state that the original waiver was about 10 pages, and some claim that today the waiver is somewhere around 40 pages. So it's difficult to find different versions of the waiver, as Russ has a clause built into the waiver that states, Participants may not have a copy of the waiver unless required for legal action in order to keep the mystery aspect of the manor intact. So participants will read and sign the waiver the day of the tour, and that's it. And this, in and of itself, to me, just sounds illegal. I'm like, why can't you have a copy of the waiver? Yeah. I mean, I think you should at least know what you're getting into. Yeah. The videos are obviously edited and doesn't show everything you see. Yeah. It's like they built in a clause that says, like, like you can only have this waiver if, like, you need to take us to court, but we're going to make it really difficult for you to take us to court. So... I don't know why they're so secretive about the waiver, but anyways, so here are some examples of the clauses in the waiver. So we'll start with the obvious items that you'd expect to see in a waiver, including a hold harmless and indemnification clause, indemnification clause, a mediation and arbitration clause, clauses claiming that the participant is in acceptable physical and mental conditions, agreements to photos and videos, and things of the like. And then we go into some of the more interesting and specific clauses, such as number seven, which mentions, it is the intention of participant by this instrument to expressly assume all risk of such personal injury, death, or property damage upon himself to the exclusion of McKamey Manor and to exempt and relieve McKamey Manor and all of its actors from liability for personal injury, property damage, or wrongful death caused by negligence. Which I just thought was really interesting. They're basically, like, that sentence alone is just like we did we you can't we didn't do it (laughs) yeah like even if we were negligent whatever like you can't say like that's a big argument in court cases like oh they were negligent this company was negligent like they didn't think about this this and this so how can you just be like even if i was negligent you can't like charge me like negligent meaning like reliable Negligent means, the way I think of it is, like, you you acted without taking into consideration what those actions might have, like, what the consequences are. Like, you, like, companies get in trouble for being negligent if they have, like, a, maybe, like, a product recall or if they do something that, like, affects a lot of people and there's, like, and a class action lawsuit. Happen. But they, well, maybe not that they necessarily knew, but they didn't take the time to sit down and consider the risks. Like, the idea is that, like, you were just hasty and you moved quickly and you didn't really put thought into it. Like, impulsive. Yeah. Like, an impulsive thing. Um, And I'm sure I'll get people being like, that's not what it means. But, like, that's the way that I think of it. Um, So, like, how can you... (laughs) How can you put in there, like, even if I was negligent? Like, that's... I don't know. That, like, I feel like defeats the purpose. It's another, like, not the same thing as an oxymoron, but it has that vibe. Yeah. Um, number 28, participant fully understands that by signing this waiver, they are giving McKinney Manor permission to keep nothing off the table except sexual or inappropriate situations. Everything else imaginable can and will happen inside McKinney Manor. So this one is tricky to me because how do we define inappropriate here? Because honestly, like most people will probably think every single thing that happens there is inappropriate. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, maybe they mean sexually inappropriate, because that's the but only thing. But it says sexual or inappropriate, so sexual is, like, its own thing. So what the fuck is inappropriate? Yeah. It's just, like, the most vague thing ever, so yeah. that they can do whatever. Couldn't, I guess, anybody who's suing them argue that it was inappropriate? Like, I feel like you'd go to court and argue over, like, the definition of inappropriate, and I feel like, feel like that wouldn't hold up, because everyone might have a different perspective on what that means. Yeah. So it's like, why would you write that in there? Number 29. Participant agrees to and has full knowledge that if selected to visit the barber, participant may leave McKamey Manor completely bald, including eyebrows. Number 30. Participant agrees and acknowledges that mouse traps are used on the tour, which may result in bruising, cutting, or breaking of fingers. Number 31. Participant agrees that if selected, they could be buried alive under 12 feet of dirt and rock to which they will have a limited amount of air and that they will have to figure out how to escape and they could possibly breathe in a significant amount of dust, dirt, or foreign objects that may cause death if participant does not breathe properly or hold their breath at the right time. <laughs> the right time? <laughs> Get it right. Oh breathe correctly. It's your fault if you die. Fuck you. Breathe in some dirt. <laughs> Even while you're probably in, like, like what's it, um, fight or flight mode. Yeah, <laughs> Like, literally. you're supposed to learn how to breathe correctly while you're getting buried alive. Okay, this next one is absolutely terrifying to me because I fucking hate the concept of drowning or just large bodies of water in general. Oh, when I first wrote this note, I wrote, or just large bodies in general. And then I put in parentheses of water. Ooh, your large body's scaring me. <laughs> okay, I'm stupid. Number 35. Participant acknowledges and agrees to be submerged in 60 feet of open water. Participant acknowledges and agrees that their breathing apparatus will be removed and that it is participant's responsibility to make their way to the surface on their own. If done incorrectly, there's a real chance of participant drowning or receiving decompression sickness, the bins, which could cause permanent injury or even death. So scary. <sighs> yeah. Number 41. Participant agrees that their entire tour will be viewed by a live audience in Las Vegas, the Philippines, and or Thailand, and that they will act appropriately... What? Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I just wanted to throw that in there as like a planting a seed. Like we'll discuss that later. Number 69. Participant fully understands and agrees that medication may be given that induces hallucinations or sedatives given in pill form or by hypodermic needle at McKamey Manor's discretion. Number 73. Participant fully understands and agrees that they may be exposed to extreme temperatures. Number 74. Participant fully understands and agrees that they may have a plastic bag or plastic wrap <laughs> on their face, which could possibly cause suffocation, blackouts, etc., and participant will not hold McKamey Manor responsible or libel. Which, okay, the waiver almost consistently uses the word libel, L-I-B-E-L, instead of liable, L-I-A-B-L-E. And I wonder if that nullifies the specific clauses where that happens, because sometimes they use the terms correctly in the waiver, but most of the time it just doesn't make sense. It'll say something along the lines of, the participant will not hold McKamey Manor libel, which libel is like when you basically like defame or like talk trash about someone or like spread lies like to the media about a person, which it just, I mean, like, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. I guess they could say like, the participant may not. Libel. I don't know if that's a... I think it's a noun. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I've never heard that word until now. 
it's different. They mean different things. And so I kept reading that and I was like, I don't think that's what they're, what they mean to put there. Um, and I think that was something they pointed out in this article where I actually found this. They were like, is this even like, does this even make sense? But okay. Number 75 participant fully understands and agrees that they may be in an enclosed chamber with live animals, which may include mice, rats, roaches, tarantulas, millipedes, centipedes, snakes, spiders, potato bugs, worms, Larva, snails, slugs, grubs, crickets, etc. He got the whole zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, so fucking gross. Number 82. Participant confirms that they are not electronically wired for surveillance. Number 89. Participant confirms that they are not involved with law enforcement and are not part of any McKamey Manor sting operation. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that is so sus. Like, putting that in there is so suspicious. Like, I'm just like, how many times has this had to happen? Did this make room to put it in a way Yes! Oh my god, can you imagine being the guy that has to go in there mic'd up? Like, you know they're gonna, like, strip you and do weird shit to you, and, like, you're in a onesie. It's just a lot. The people come out of there looking so busted and torn up. Like, you could not Traumatized. Yeah. Number 98. Participant fully understands that they are not being held against their will at any time during their McKamey Manor experience and that participant is demanding to stay with the tour for as long as possible. Number 99. Participant fully agrees and demands that they want to push themselves as hard as possible while inside the McKamey Manor tour no matter how many times participant may say that they want out of the tour. Participant is being clear that no matter what they say, participant wants the tour to continue. Okay, let's talk about that, because, like, that just doesn't make sense. How, if you, like, really need to get out, how can you get out? Like, what's the, what's even the point of a safe word at that point? Like, yeah. I get, like, wanting to push yourself, but, like, I mean, this is about, I guess, exceeding limits, and I guess when you agree to that, that's what you agree to, but it's just so, like, it's, it's like, a very... yeah gray area on how I feel because it's like you for like you signed to that but at the same time it's like well then why am I even like like what's the point of even having a safe word and being told that there's going to be a safe word and there's a way to get out if there's not right right okay number 100 participant having spent time with Russ McKamey and other staff of McKamey Manor and through other people and what participant has read know that Russ McKamey and the staff of McKamey Manor truly has my best intentions at all times which, why are they switching between, like, first and third person? I'm getting confused. Participant gives their permission to McKamey Manor to challenge them both physically and emotionally to the highest degree. Participant does not want to quit McKamey Manor unless there is no other choice. Participant wants to stay with the tour no matter what they say, no matter what they may say while they are distressed inside McKamey Manor. So, uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is that there are two clauses discussing the ability to choose and use a safe word if the participant would like to. But then there's another clause that states participant fully understands and agrees that once participant enters McKamey Manor, there is no quitting unless serious physical or psychological injury is present. So it has been said that people go back and forth between begging Russ to keep going and then begging him to stop during their trip to the manor. And it's also been said that Russ doesn't always stop the tour at the first mention of the participant's safe word. He goes back and forth with them, questioning whether they really are at the point of needing to use their safe word, pushing the participants to determine whether they are truly as far as they can go physically and psychologically. Um, another clause goes on to say that having a panic attack does not count as a serious injury, to which I say my ass. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's kind of fucked. But, like, honestly, given everything else that could happen according to this clause, a panic attack seems like the least of your worries. Yeah, I agree. So, it's just interesting. It's like, I don't know... I don't really know how I feel about it. Like, I understand you're trying to, like, the whole point of it is to be extreme and, like, pushing yourself to the limit, but it's like, who is Russ McCamey to say, like, whether you're allowed to use your safe word or not? Especially considering he won't even do the things that he does to people to himself. I feel like if that's the way you're going to do it, you should have, like, a defined level of safe words. Like, if I say the safe word five times, like, I'm not fucking kidding, Russ. Get me out of here. Like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how, you're not, like, a professional. You don't you don't have, like, a degree in determining whether someone's done or not. Like, yeah. you don't know what you're doing to them psychologically. So it's, I don't know. And then, like, I also, I, I it's so hard because I'm in the middle. Like, I, I love playing, like, the devil's advocate and, like, understanding that there are people who seek these experiences, which we'll talk more about, like, the different people who go. But it's just, I get so heated about it. I don't know how I feel. Yeah, especially when you and I are involved in a community that takes safe words, like, very seriously. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, uh... Like, I don't know, maybe they should have, like you said, like, a better system. Like, maybe, like, a red, yellow, green system. Right, yeah. This is where, like, I was getting at the beginning where I was, like... At first, I was like, I would never sign this petition to close the manor down. Because people should be able to have these expressions and, like, experience these things. But, like... As you look more into it, it's, like, not very, it's not very put together, it's not very professionally done, so then you start questioning the safety of it, and it's, like, you know, it becomes a whole thing. So, according to Sealing, who wrote for the Nashville scene, District District Attorney Brent Cooper said that the program was legal because people subjected themselves to it voluntarily, though participants could withdraw their consent at any time according to Tennessee law. So I think that's where all of this comes into play. Like, I guess if you're in the right sound mind and body and you sign this contract and you're like, I understand that I'm like basically like negating my right to use my safe word, but you still are protected under Tennessee law to like get out of it. So I guess that's kind of the loophole. Yeah. Um, another fun fact, McKamey never curses. That's like one of his rules. No cursing. Um, and then according to several sources, I saw that everyone who goes through the haunt is allowed to list items in their waiver that are completely off limits, as well as situations that would be like their final straw breaking point. Like hard limits for them? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I don't know. I think I saw somewhere where somebody was like, I don't want needles or water. And Russ was like, that's kind of not allowed. <laughs> like, if you want to go through the tour, you're going to have to be able to be okay with needles and water. Cause that's like a lot of what, like, that's a big part of yeah. his fear tactic. So, like, I guess he kind of, like, works with you. But it's, like, the whole reason you're going there is to be so scared. Yeah, I'm, like, when, like, I feel like the whole point is to, like, face your hard limits. Mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. I'm surprised he was not, like, sadistic enough to, like, in, like, include those things in there and be, like, surprise, like, I used your hard limits as actually scare tactics against you. Yeah, like, I think, I think he's kind of a mastermind in that a lot of this, I feel like, is hype in order to, like, really freak you out and make you think about the kinds of things that really scare you. Like, I think that's a part of it. I think it goes deeper than just, like, the actual, like, physical experience of going through the tour. Lori Brotherton claims that Carol Schultz, one of Russ's ex-girlfriends, wrote this waiver and the NDA that she signed at the time of the haunt. Um, Carol is supposedly a paralegal and worked at a law firm at the time. And we'll talk more about both Lori later and Carol. Um, it gets a little interesting, but 
there's a lot of back and forth about this waiver. Let's talk about finances at the manor. So I'm sure we're all wondering the same thing. How does McCamey Manor operate? Right? Weren't you wondering <laughs> that? <laughs> or is that just the nerdy part of me? Um, well, I'm like, I want to see their balance sheet. <laughs> I just look at his like YouTube videos and I'm like, this looks like somebody's backyard. You're like, like it's in- very low income. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How do they make money? How have they kept this insane operation going for years, particularly with so much public outcry? Honestly, these are all great questions because the manor doesn't even accept payment for the haunts. Uh, a 2015 article by, I think I'm going to say this right, maybe, Casey Ifiani for FastCompany.com claims that Russ's cost of operating the manor in San Diego at the time was about $500,000. I don't know if that's, like, per year or what. That's just what it says. <laughs> outside of props, and this is a quote, outside of props, equipment, and other basic elements of a haunt, McCamey was shelling out $250 to $275 a night for an on-site EMT and somewhere between $15,000 and $20,000 per year on specialty insurance from Lloyd's of London. McCamey estimates it costs him around $500 per haunt, and then I think he does a haunt each weekend. So what's that math? Does that add up to what he said? Um, I should be able to do quick math, but, you know, if there's 52 weeks... That's like 26000 and then the insurance. I don't know. Anyways, like I said, this information is pulled from all these random websites. Like, <laughs> But that's what he said, so we'll go with it. Um, but as we'll learn, he's not good with money, so like, take it with a grain of salt, like whatever he's saying. Um, regardless of how much the haunt is putting a dent in Russ's finances, if you'd like to be one of the manor's victims, you simply just have to bring Russ a few bags and cans of dog food for his greyhounds that he rescued. Specifics on the amounts and types of dog food varies depending on the source. That's it. There's no other financial obligation to attend the manor, though I did see a few sources stating that he had created a GoFundMe in 2015 and considered implementing a fee to attend the haunt to offset the financial burden, but Russ does this simply out of passion for the haunt. To him, there's no price tag. All the hassle is worth it. It's dedication. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like, what's, they say like, I don't, is this even right? Like, whenever people say this in movies and TV shows, I'm like, is that really it? The definition of insanity is like when you try the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Every time you hear that in a movie, I'm like, is that really the definition? But that seems like kind of like this. It's just like, he's just pouring everything into it and it's like is it worth it dude i don't know he has a dream i guess so according to the san diego union tribune in june of 2016 the division of the internal revenue service that handles taxes for small business and the self-employed filed a lien against mckamey's house on almazon street According to records on file with the County of San Diego, the lien cites $252,000 of unpaid income taxes, interest, and penalties for the 2012 tax year. The Tribune also reported that there were three business licenses registered with the San Diego Treasurer's Office. Two of the business licenses, and this is a quote, both for McKamey Manor, listed unpaid fees and were probably canceled for that reason, a clerk at the office said. The third license for musical excitement with Russ was canceled before January 1st, 2012, City Records show. So I'm assuming musical excitement with Russ, what a choice of words, is for Russ's wedding singing gig. I just feel like that's, like, the most basic 
like name you could have come up with? Musical excitement. McKamey's business licenses claimed that the manor offered, quote, other personal services. Um, so if that's a legit offering, I'd love to see a compilation of business licenses that offer other personal services. And then I'd just like to try and like figure out what kind of services they actually have available. Because that is so ominous and like weirdly vague. When we discussed the manor in my business law class, someone mentioned that the manor was being paid to live stream the haunts on the dark web. People were placing bets on how long they expected people to last during their experience, and the manor would take suggestions of torture methods from the viewers. And I quote, Bookers in Las Vegas even reached out to stream active runs through the manor and place bets on the action. For all the popularity McCamey Manor garnered, none of it turned into profit, not even from Vegas, Russ said about the streaming in a Fast Company interview. I've never been there. I've never seen it. I've just seen photos of it. We don't profit from it whatsoever, McCamey says. I don't get a single penny from it because that's totally illegal, but they were donating to various rescue societies, so I was okay with that. This is interesting because, as we saw earlier when we discussed the waiver, Russ includes a clause stating that participants agree to being live-streamed to Vegas, amongst other international locations. So I just want to know, like, what kind of rescue societies they're donating to, like, rescuing victims from McCabe Manor, maybe, rescuing (laughs) dogs, like, it's just weird that he's like, yeah, it's illegal, so, like, I don't affiliate it with it or make any profit from it, but, like, I'm gonna put it in my waiver because I know it's happening. And I'm like, who was live streaming this? Like, how do you not, like, you only have so many employees. Like, how, who was live streaming it? I didn't even think of that. (laughs) How are you not affiliated with it? Like, who's, does someone have, like, a secret camera in your home and you're like, I'm not affiliated. Like, Like, let me just write, I don't know where the camera is, so I guess I should just write a clause about it. Like, what do you mean? What? I didn't even think of it that way. At this point, I don't really have a conclusion for you all on the financial well-being of McKamey Manor. Basically, what I can deduce is that the manor is the not-for-profit love child of Russ McKamey, who's poured his life savings into its operations out of pure passion for the haunt. Like, I don't really know what's going on over there, so we'll see how long it can continue. So, now I want to talk about people who've been through the haunt, and it ranges from people who are, like, very upset with their experience to people who, like, seem to be all about it, so... Let's get into it. This is the this is the video that you and I watched like a month ago or a month or two. We had like McDonald's and we were like, "This is just crazy." Is she the one that was like, "Hey guys," like she you know the <laughs> she one. Was busted, yeah, yeah, she was busted. She Poor was stressed. Girl. So her name is Lori Brotherton. When her exit video was posted on YouTube, Lori said that the record length of time that girls were able to endure the manor at that point was one hour and fifty minutes, and she was the one who set that record. Lori completed her haunt in October of 2016, and she flew into San Diego from Colorado. So, the video is, like, super distressing. She keeps saying that it was the hardest thing she's ever done, and that you don't want to do this, but the banner was also the most exhilarating thing she's ever done, and then she thinks and loves Russ and his team. So, the energy coming off of this video is all over the place, like, chaotic at best. You, like, don't know how to feel. And I think there's, like, a person in the background. Do you remember we, like, rewinded it? I was like, I think there's someone standing in the bathroom, like, looking at her. Yeah, like, making sure she's saying the right thing. Yes, yeah. She'll, she says that. She's like, they made me take that video. And I was, like, still, like, trying to calm down. And, like, they were like, you have to say these things. So Lori has since come forward with allegations that the manor's not just an extreme haunt and that what happened to her there was way more intense than she could have known from watching his movies and reading the waiver. And you're, this is a tea, Amanda. Like, oh my God, I've been waiting to tell you this. 
So the Nashville scene did an interview with Lori and found the following information. So let's get into it. It's a lot. Lori claims that she had assignments to do prior to her haunt, including purchasing the onesie that Russ requires everyone to wear to go through the haunt or going into like a spirit Halloween store and just like taking a picture of herself and sending it. It was like simple things, but like things that you just had to like take time out of your day to go do. Um, Lori even went as far as getting a tattoo to commemorate what she thought was going to be the experience of a lifetime. It's huge. It's huge. And it's weird. And it says McKamey Manor with her haunt date underneath it in like bloody letters. And it's like big on her arm. And Lori's not the only person to get a McKamey Manor tattoo. Like other people have done this and other people have done it like before they even went through the haunt. It's like, dude. Wait, did she get a tattoo before or after Before. Okay, okay. Like these people got these tattoos before as like a owed to, like, their dedication. <sighs> yeah, like, they're, like, just proving to Russ that they're, like, so worthy. I think the scars that they're gonna have are gonna be proof enough. Yeah, seriously. Lori was married at the time of her haunt, but she had connected with one of the members of the McKamey Manor Facebook group and began a romantic internet relationship with him. Oh my. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, Russ catches wind of this, and as is written in his waiver, he likes to use any and all personal information that he can find about you against you during your haunt experience. So, remember, he likes it to be psychological, though Russ admits that his San Diego haunts were more physically challenging than his new Tennessee haunts, which are still physical, but more psychological in nature. He just likes to mindfuck you. Anyway, Lori arrived for her haunt with her husband, and I think in an interview she said that, like, things were already kind of, like, on the fritz with him. Like, things weren't great, but he went with her because this was, like, a big deal, you know? Like, you want someone there to support you. So, she arrives with her husband... And Russ outs her. He just outs his information to Lori's husband and her, as well as the internet boyfriend who had been lying to Lori about being separated from his wife. And I think she told him that she wasn't married. So, like, Russ gets basically gets them all together and is like, these two are dating romantically, like, online in front of, like, their spouses. Oh, my. And the guy that she was, like, the... The other guy, he was a part of the Mickey Mickey Manor team, or just... He's, like, just someone on the Facebook page who's, like, all about it. Like, there's a Facebook group, and, like, you have to, like, be in the group and stuff, and, like, she got her tattoo and, like, posted a picture of her tattoo in the Facebook group, and, like, it's just people who are so gotcha. into it. Just and so like they a just, fan. Yeah, and so they just, like, met on in the Facebook group and, like, hit it off and became, like, romantically involved, okay, I, see, I guess. I so, yes. <laughs> immediately her boyfriend dumps her and her husband told her that he wanted a divorce like while they're right before the haunt Lori, before the haunt yeah like this is all happening like they arrive and russ is like oh by the way and then like her boyfriend's like okay well we're over and then her husband's like i want a divorce fuck you like i came all the way over here with you and you're dating this guy on the internet and like we're already in a bad place like you know what i mean yeah um Lori claims that russ did this right before she was about to be taken away So she's, like, in a state of emotional shock as the torture's beginning. Her experiences in the manor include being whipped, tased, fish-hooked, waterboarded, submerged underwater until her body was thrashing, buried in dirt, and only given a straw to breathe out of, and they even scratched at her new McCabe Manor tattoo with a file, like a... I don't even know what that means. But that she said that that was, like, the last... Like straw, it was like they were scratching at her fresh tattoo and her neck with like whatever. Oh my file. god! Like sandpapering her skin, basically. Oh, and that's what remember in the video she was like, "My tattoo's messed up." Do you remember her no. saying that? She was saying that in the video, and it's like, dude, that shit fucking hurts. I can just imagine. 
Yeah, like a fresh tattoo hurts on itself. And why, just, like, having someone, oh, God. Why would you get a fresh tattoo right before going to do something like that, though? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, they're gonna you, fuck with it. Yeah. Inevitably. Ugh, gross. She said that she said her safe word multiple times before Russ stopped the haunt. And when it was over, Russ told her that he would sue her for any defamation of the manor and required her to complete her exit interview video, which would definitely explain, like, the really weird energy in the video that we had mentioned previously. The video is only like three or so minutes long, but it feels like an eternity. Definitely go check it out. (laughs) She went to the hospital afterward where authorities were called by like the people who work at the hospital due to her condition, but nothing came out of that. I think she's, I think in her interview, she said that she left before like the police arrived. So Russ does not deny that her experiences happened. He technically didn't put a hand on her. His actors did. He says that he did, in fact, use her cheating against her to add to the psychological aspect of her experience. But Lori still thinks that Russ is manipulative and that his waivers and movies do not do justice to what it's really like to go through the manor. She just wants justice for herself and other victims of the manor. I think Russ is in the situation being like, yeah, like, that's what you asked for. Like, I, this is how I do it. And like, I think he said somewhere in an article that like, he hates cheaters and like, he uses personal information that he can find on you. So it's just kind of like that. But I think for her, she was going through like, like, can you imagine being told that you're about to like, your husband's like, I want a divorce. And then you get taken away and beaten for however long. Um, I mean, that's like your body like shuts down when you hear news like that, you know, yeah, you just can't handle it. So I think that was probably adding to it. I think I read, too, that she said that she didn't even, like, up until they started scratching at her, like, she wasn't even, like, screaming or crying or anything. She was just, like, numb and just taking it. Okay, so let's move on. Christina. (laughs) Christina Buster. She's the one that did it twice. Yeah. Christina's another woman who's visited the manor. However, she's visited the manor twice. In her movie, she explains that the reason that she came back is to push herself further. She felt like she could have lasted longer than she did the first time, which was only a few minutes, and that she wanted to see how much she could really take, even if it was a bad idea. So the second time she endured the manor, she lasted over four hours, which is crazy, and boasted about being the oldest person to go through the haunt at that point. I don't know how old she was, but I remember seeing that part, and she was like, I'm the oldest person to do McCabe Manor. Yeah, she looked like an older woman for sure. Mm-hmm. Christina's from Kuwait, which was a 19-hour flight to McCabe Manor. She looks really beaten up by the end of the haunt. Oh my gosh. She sure does. Yeah, she looks bad. And she's like, ugh, you just want to hold her. Lori actually mentions Christina in an interview and says that she wants justice for Christina as well. Though I haven't seen word from Christina on, like, whether she feels like something bad happened to her. Like, what like what her thoughts are on Russ. She went and back. Manner. So it's like, how could you yeah, really? Exactly. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, but, like, as we'll see, there's a lot of... There's a lot of rumors and thoughts and feelings about Russ, so it's like, who knows? Okay, Brandon Vance. Brandon Vance has made a 10-hour drive both ways twice in order to attend McCamey Manor. He describes his desire for the experience as a catharsis that helps him cope with his time spent in the Army. So he fills his time chasing adrenaline rushes, but nothing quite compares to the simulated danger and potential high risks of the manor. So apparently one of his haunts only lasted a minute after signing the waiver. Oh my god. Which I'm like, how, for some people, they have to, like, beg and plead with Russ for him to say, like, you're done. So I just want to know, like, what really went down after, like, a minute where he's like, okay, you're done, you know? Yeah. Like, it seems like he wants it to keep going. Like, how do you, how does he make a movie out of a minute? (laughs) 
Right, he told that talk up. That's probably why some of the, if you guys watch them, some of them are, like, the first, like, three hours, they're just in this, like, fast food restaurant signing the waiver. So maybe that's, like, one of them. Well, isn't there one video, like, Christina's in it, and, like, they're making them sign the waiver, like, in a pond while they're he, they're getting beaten before they even sign yeah. the waiver. Do they have to actually sign, like, an actual waiver beforehand, do you know? I don't know. You don't know? I talk about that a little bit, and it's, like, I kind of question it, so I'm not, yeah, it's all, it's all a little questionable. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he only lasted a minute after the waiver. The haunt actually begins before the waiver is signed. So it looks like I'm talking about it now. The haunt actually begins before the waiver is signed. Um, they stage a kidnapping and the haunt begins while you're reading the waiver. So I presume this is a way to give you like a taste of what's in store. If you can finish reading the waiver and continue on with the haunt, but I don't personally think it's fair. Like give people a chance to read the waiver while they're not in a state of panic and then bombard them as soon as they sign it and set the pin down. Like, I guess the rationale behind starting early is to give the victims, like, a bit of a reality check as to what they've gotten themselves into. Um, but some people are all talk, I guess. Like, I don't... Like this one guy who quit after a minute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you're like, oh, I can do this. And then you're like, no, I really can't. Um, Scott McNinch and Brian Vanover are two more victims who only made it a few minutes past the signing of their waivers. Little bitches. No. <laughs> Um, it's interesting to me that some victims only make it a few minutes. Like, I want to see what really goes on during those haunts. Like, how scared and fucked up do you really have to be for Russ McCamey, king of survival horror, to just let you finish his haunt, like, after a couple minutes that he loves so much? Like, he puts so much effort into that. Yeah. And for you to be done after, like, just a few minutes. Like, yeah. Well, maybe it's, like, the fact that they're already calling the safe word in the first few minutes that he's like, I know you're not going to be able to even yeah. take the rest. He's like, this isn't even worth my time. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Carol. Carol. Carol Schultz is one of Russ's longtime girlfriends, so they've since ended things on bad terms, and she can't stand him in her own words. So Carol says that, he was doing inappropriate things with other women of all ages. So here we go with a lot of things that are not substantiated, things that have really no evidence that I was able to find. So we're just, this is just what people have said in interviews. Apparently he was telling women that he wasn't in a relationship with her, her, her being Carol. There was another woman named Holly that he began Skyping and calling like 24 seven that he was supposedly in love with. And he wanted to move her into the house with him and Carol. I mean, we love a poly family. We do. We do. Consensually. We love a consensual <laughs> poly family. Absolutely. Um, any poly families looking to adopt? <laughs> um, we got two unicorns. <laughs> any hoosie. Um, Carol claims that Russ is obsessed with female bodybuilders, and he didn't want to marry Carol unless she was a bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> Russ doesn't look anything like a bodybuilder himself. No! No, he does not. She also claimed that he is extremely unhygienic and wouldn't shower for, like, up to a week and wouldn't brush his teeth. That sounds like me on a good week. Oh, <laughs> God, just expose yourself on the podcast. <laughs> Hey, we're keeping it real here, right? <laughs> we are, we are, we are. Bring your most authentic self to the pod. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hate me. Carol says that she gave him $100,000 to pay off his second mortgage on the promise that she would get paid back. Oh but he never paid her back. See, this is why men are trifling. Like, I, <laughs> I could never. I would 
never. I am so selfish. I would never. I don't care how much I love you, how long we've been together. No. no. I'm sorry. Finances will be kept separately. I don't blame you. $100,000? Like, that's... Who just has that? Like, who... I will never love someone so much, I don't think, that I would give them $100,000 to pay off their second mortgage. See, I would. I mean, I'm the type of woman who... See, that's why we're built different. <laughs> <laughs> you are right or die. If, if, if I had it like that, and I would I would dish it out, but... Okay, if I had it like that, but she does not have it like that. She doesn't have it like that. Like, okay, that's like, so it ends doesn't. up being, like, all of her money. Oh, my. So, that, honestly, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna victim blame anybody here, but Carol, no. Carol should have maybe considered not giving him $100,000 and maybe half and, like. <laughs> no, I agree. This is not victim blaming. This is just us simply analyzing her financial decisions. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is just a crazy thing. But maybe I'm just cold. <laughs> okay. She never gets the money. She said that she paid his lawyer bills and other bills too for the 15 years that they were together. And when he lost his job with the Veterans Association, he refused to work after he got fired and he took out his 401k. <laughs> I mean, good for you, Russ. I think he was like 56. So like, I don't know. My dad stopped working. Like after the recession, he was like, okay, <laughs> that was a good run. <laughs> so, but like, I don't know. My dad also doesn't owe $100,000 to someone, so yeah. it's a different situation. I mean, Carol is a fool at this point to just be even, like, <laughs> still dishing out money. Like, she already paid for his bills and his lawyer and all these other, all these bills, and then suddenly she wants to dish out also another additional hundred k. Like, come on, Carol. Ugh, Carol, I feel for this woman. Okay, last she checked, he was sitting on four hundred k in his savings account, and she had zero in her savings account. So, like, he had the money, at least when she, the last they had interacted, she claims that he had the money to pay her back. Then he sold the house that she paid off and didn't give her any money. <laughs> Let me say it again. Then he sold the house that she paid off and didn't give her any money. <laughs> Carol! <laughs> oh, my oh, God. So, when Carol broke up with Russ, she took some of the props from the manor, but apparently all of his stuff was, like, super badly taken care of. She also said that he has never had a waiting list for his haunt. <laughs> He's lying. <coughs> Raise your hands over your head. <coughs> you good? Yeah. That was funny. It's just so funny. <laughs> so she said that the waiting list was, like, no more than, like, two to three people. Why? And that the numbers that he says that he's invested into the haunt are not accurate. Which, like, we just did the math a second ago, and it was only, like, 26000 a year, and he said 500000 or something, so I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I probably... Don't do math. <laughs> I probably believe her on maybe the cost don't add up to as much as what he's saying, but the, the waiting list, I probably would probably... I would disagree if I had to guess. Like, I feel like, based on the hubbub about it, like, I think maybe at one point, it seems like a lot of people want to do it. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of talk about it. But I don't know. 27,000 is still a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe that's how many people have signed up, but, like, haven't actually, like, done what they needed to do. Well, yeah. That's the wait list. But, yeah. I don't know. I think that he probably doesn't take care of the equipment, like she said. I think that the waiting list is probably not 27,000, and I think that he probably did not spend that much money as he claims to have. I don't know. 
I don't know for certain, but I I, th- I think a lot of the figures and information that float around about the manor are not accurate. According to Carol, all the talk about streaming to Vegas and the gambling stuff is fake. It's just something that he would say to people like, oh, they're telling me they want me to do this to you, blah, 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 in order to, like, add to the psychological torture. Which makes sense, because, I mean, like we said earlier, how would he not know who's streaming in his house? Exactly. Like, logistically, it doesn't make sense, but when you're in the moment, and you're, like, being kidnapped and, like, beaten and stuff, and they're, like, you're not thinking about that. You're like, holy shit, like, there's people, you know, in Vegas betting on how long I could last and giving them tips. So I think knowing Russ and, like, as much as he cares about, like, making the manor, like, super scary and whatever, I think that makes sense. So, Carol has known Russ since 1977. Go way back. He was super nice in the beginning of them knowing each other, which eventually led to a romantic relationship forming, and as we can see, things got worse and worse. She said that once they were living together, he would wake her up every morning. Okay, trigger warning, This has to do with children, so if you're not cool with that, I would just skip ahead a little bit, but we are, for the next little bit, gonna, nothing graphic, but we're just gonna talk about some things happening to children, which can be triggering for people. So, she said that once they started living together, he would wake her up every morning and tell her about dreams that he'd had about young children, and would ask her what it meant. Um, And all of this is in an interview with, like, honestly, just some random guy who I think was, like, upset with the manor and just kind of did, like, his own investigation into it. But she does, like, a pretty long interview with him where she talks about all this. Holly, the other woman, also said that he would tell her things like this, too. And she calls him a passive pedophile. So she, she goes as far as to say that. She even mentions some stuff about him potentially doing things to his own children. Um, And all of this is speculation, and I would not like to be sued over saying this. I'm just saying what I saw in YouTube videos and interviews. And honestly, the Holly interview, it's just a slideshow of, like, photos of Holly. And then, like, a recording of, like, a phone call over it. So it's like, I don't... The Carol one is a little bit more believable, because, like, there's a Netflix show where this is on it. Um, the McKamey Manor is like featured in it and it's about haunted houses. And like Carol, I think I believe I remember seeing her in that. And like, you can just look her up and see her with Russ sometimes. And so like, when I saw the interview, I knew it was Carol, but like the uh, Holly video is just, it's like, I don't really know if that's even her. Yeah. Um, but that's what came from that video. So don't mind me. Um, this is just what people are saying on the internet. Carol said that McKamey Manor started as a kid-friendly, yet still intense and scary backyard haunt. She had her boss draw up the original McKamey Manor waiver. Remember, she was a paralegal working at a law office. So the waiver was actually only one page back then, according to her. And it was just for the safety of the kids and the peace of mind of the parents that let their kids go there. So Carol claims that Russ and Holly got her fired from the job that she had at the law office because they wouldn't stop calling her at her job, which I would be... Ooh, I would be so hot if some if I got fired because someone was calling me in my job. Like I didn't even do anything. I mean, at that point, maybe I would just sue them. Like, yeah, it's the job that you're working for. It's like you can't control that, right? After Carol was fired, this is when Russ told her that Holly was supposed to come live with them, and that was like her final straw. Um, and that was when she left. Apparently, Russ claims to have been a part of MK Ultra. And is a master of hypnosis and has super high government clearance. But Carol claims that he was just the guy who would blow the whistle on the boat and get people to sign up for more years with the Navy. So, 
As for the torture, here's what Carol is debunking. The hallucinogenic drugs that he makes people take apparently are just Tic Tacs. Uh, there are no injections, teeth pullings, all the pliers are plastic, and the drill bits are rubber or foam, though the, they're on real drills, like, for the full effect. Kind of like when you go to, like, Scarewinds or something, and they have the chainsaws, but the the, the, the blades are removed. Yeah. Because um, the sound is what's really scary. And she said the only real thing is, like, the hair cutting and the bruises and stuff that happen when they're just kind of, like, roughhousing you. Carol said that by the end, it was just no longer fun, and then she would hear him, like, editing the videos and just hear the same sounds over and over and over again, and that she was just, like, slowly going crazy. And, like, basically, the relationship between Carol and Russ, it seems like it was pretty bad. I was trying to figure out what exactly happened, but, like, she ended up getting out. Like, she took their dogs, and, like, someone, like, helped her get out. So it was, I think it was, like, a manipulative kind of, like, emotional abuse situation going on. Like, yeah. he was, like, taking her money, and, like, like she was supporting him, and he was just doing whatever the fuck he wanted, and, like, talking to other women, and making her feel low down about herself, so it was just kind of that, like, toxic cycle of a relationship that was had gone on for way too long, and he was just kind of using her. That's kind of the vibe that, like, she was giving in this interview. So Holly has also posted a video about her time dating Russ, and she says that he was manipulative and coercive, and um, a lot has gone down since Carol left and Holly came into the picture, apparently. Holly calls him a psychopathic narcissist. So in this video, like, she kind of goes pretty hard. Like, the things that Carol says are, like, it seems like the things that Carol says are, like, mainly, you know, things got bad, we were not our best selves with each other, we tore each other down, blah, blah, blah. But, like, Holly's, like, no, he was, like, a, a narcissist. He was crazy. Um, but she, I like, she did move in with him, and she was, like, and you can see videos on his YouTube and stuff of her. But yeah, the information I provided from Holly's perspective, it's definitely up for debate on credibility, because the YouTube video is just the recording on of a phone call, and then, like, a slideshow of pictures of her, so. Though Carol does reference Holly's statements in her interview, and Holly references Carol's experiences, too, so, like, I wonder if they've touched base, like, Carol left, Holly swooped in, or, like, I think Holly had kind of moved in already, and then Carol left. So, Holly had some time with Russ. They broke, they've since broken up. So, I'm assuming that they've, like, touched base and determined that they had, like, similar experiences with Russ during their relationships with him. Russ responds to, like, pretty much anyone who calls him on his shit publicly, like, whether it's someone who's been through the haunt or whether it's a past girlfriend. And he just does all this, like, on his Facebook page, on his YouTube, and, like, he gets his fans to back him up. He calls them haters. Like, he loves to call people the haters. You're gonna be his professional skepticism hater. <laughs> I don't necessarily hate him. I think... Here, we'll go into my little... my little spiel here. So, in conclusion, I have so many feelings about McKamey Manor. At first glance, it's, like, so intriguing and captivating and horrifying and, oh my god, like, I just can't look away. I personally would never do something like this. I've paid a lot of money for my teeth and my skin and my mental health and my tattoos, so there's no way that I would just throw all of that away and then have, like, a tacky five-hour movie made out of it. <laughs> um... <laughs> like, I'm hot, and I pay a lot of money to be hot, and, like, I'm not about to do that and then have, like, 
this awful video would be about it. The YouTube videos are so fucking painful to sit through. And not because they're torture porn, but because I could have made a better iMovie on my friend's laptop in middle school than the shit that he produces. Yeah, those captions and his font choices. It's like the Comic Sans and yes. like the Curly Q. The transitions are horrible. The actual shots of the haunt are horrible. Some parts of the videos have absolutely no audio, and then some videos have the same clip in there twice, and, like, probably more. And then some videos have two hours of Russ interviewing the participant in a fast food restaurant. Like, it's much more enjoyable to just skip ahead to the juicy parts if you're gonna watch them. Anyway, more power to the people who want to do this. I really think that if people are seeking out experiences like this, they should be able to do so. Like, why not? Whether or not Russ should be the one in charge of operating a haunt like this is another question. Like, I can't really get a read on him. He's charming and likable, but it doesn't seem like there's much behind those beady little eyes. Like, he's very alarming. And I personally think that most of the stuff in the waiver and the rumors that circulate on the internet, they're all a part of Russ's theatrics. Like, yeah, you're gonna go, you're gonna come out looking like shit. That's a given. But the eels and the injections and all the other things that are like so blatantly and implicitly illegal. Like, I think it's all for show, and that's probably why he hasn't been arrested or shut down yet. I bet Russ believes that, like, all press is good press. And that seems very fitting for someone who's running a survival horror haunt experience. Like, it needs to be terrifying, it needs to be unheard of to add to the psychological aspect of the horror. So, like, that's why I much prefer a scary movie that's realistic over something that has, like, monsters or the paranormal. Because what's scarier than, like, a real-life predator? What's scarier than our own minds? Okay, I officially sound like a Tumblr post. Welcome to my sick and twisted podcast, <laughs> guys. <laughs> but yeah, like, I guess just in general, I think he's all about the drama and people being upset because it makes the people that are, like, really, really into it, like, want it. It makes it more taboo and makes them really want to go and, like, see for themselves. Yeah, and it kind of hypes up, like, in their own mind and gives their own mind, like, suspense that, like according to some of these women that don't even actually happen like the tic tacs and the rubber bits and like it's just you're scaring yourself so much with the thought of these things possibly happening that they don't actually don't yeah yeah exactly like i think i think it's all just talk and like that's why he's always saying stuff like it's just the theatrics like it's all for show cuz like it probably really is yeah. and that's just the point of it it's just it's infamous. Like, it has the bad reputation, and that's what's appealing about it. Yeah. I agree. All right. So that was a lot. Russ McKamey, I don't hate you. Um, you'll never see me in your manner. Please don't sue me. This is all just from... God, this... Honestly, this episode was fucking horrible to research. Like, I won't even lie. It took me forever because there's no, like solid, real information. Like, aside from, like, the San Diego Union Tribune that had, like, facts. Like, credible sources. (laughs) Yeah, like, there was, like, a couple credible sources. A lot of it's just, like, blogs and YouTube videos and, like, just, ugh, the worst. And, like, articles that are, like, just, you know, like, trying to terrify people and, like, clickbait type shit. So, you know, I just thought it was an interesting story. Either way, it's just interesting to talk about, but I'll put all my sources in the show notes so you guys can look at that. Okay, we're back, because I forgot (laughs) to ask Amanda whether she would sign the Change.org petition to shut down McKamey Manor. I think I would, only to shut down Russ, but I think that the actual facility and what it does should not be shut down. I think Russ should be shut down. 
Yeah. That, I think that's where I came out on the end, too. I was like, I think that people should be able to have these kinds of crazy, wild experiences if they want to, but, like, Russ seems problematic. Yeah. And especially the allegations with children. Yeah, that was weird. So, um, yeah. Ugh. I don't support anything like that, so... That's the only, I think that's the only reason why I would sign it is just so Russ could his dreams could be crushed. <laughs> I agree. High five. <laughs> and with that, I want to thank you all for listening to our second episode of Professional Skepticism. I hope you all loved and hated that as much as I did. And you can stay in touch with us by following us on Instagram and Twitter at Prof Skep Podcast. That's P R O F. S-K-E-P podcast, Prof Skep podcast. <laughs> Stay sus, skeptics, and remember to tune in next week for another episode. Bye. Bye.